Turn in your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to read... Matthew 5, 1 through 12, this is the Beatitudes, and then our sermon passage is going to come from the book of Proverbs, and I'm taking a, I've done this once before, so we're in an extended series in the book of Jeremiah, uh, um, Ezekiel, excuse me, and Ezekiel is, if you've been with us, it's a judgment book, there are threads of mercy throughout the book, clear enough, um, but lots of judgment, and and um, uh, I think pastorally, Sometimes we need a break, and then I knew sometimes I, I think I need a break. Um, and so one time before, I think I've taken a three or four-week break, and we're going to finish the book, Lord willing, if I'm alive. And I thought we'd take another three or four weeks uh, break, and I'm going to do some topicals. And my my practice is to preach through books, New Testament in the morning, Old Testament in the evening. And then when I do breaks, um, ordinarily I like to go to Psalms or Proverbs, and I look for something which is expressly, um, I would say, comforting or pastoral. And so it's my purpose tonight. I prayed it. I want to look at tonight some of the blessings that we enjoy by virtue of being in, in Jesus Christ. So it's going to be a simple sermon. It's really kind of account our blessings in Christ um, for this purpose. I think I, I may have prayed this. I can't remember. Um, yeah, I did. Uh, we, it's easy to become bar- battle-weary as a Christian. We love Christ. We're loved by Christ. We're kept by Christ. We're, we're going to go to be with Christ pretty soon. Uh, but this life can be very, very difficult. We spoke this morning uh, about persecution in the life of the believer, which I'll talk about when we get into our sermon. And because of the persecution of the believer, the flesh that we have, the, the opposition of the devil and the world, life can be a difficult place. And um, we are prone at least some people I know and love, are prone to depression. William Carey was prone to depression. Uh, Brainerd, a missionary prone to depression. Lots of God's people have been prone to depression. And so one of the antidotes that God gives us in his words for our depression, our melancholy, is the promises of God, uh, the blessings of God. So if you are a person that wrestles with, or perhaps you don't, you're, perhaps you're in a season of, um, of uh, joy and so forth, I praise the Lord for that. But if you go through um, times of um, darkness, um, the, the promises of God in Christ are the things that uh, are meant to um, uh, enlighten our love. So with that said, I'm going to New Testament and then the counterpart of the Proverbs 10, um, Old Testament counterpart. So Matthew 5, and listen for the blessings that belong to us um, by virtue of being in Christ. God's perfect word. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say 
all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is blessing after blessing after blessing. And obviously, the people that Christ is describing are the people that are in Jesus Christ with with true faith. These are the born-again people, poor in spirit. Ours is the kingdom of heaven. We're on our way to heaven. We're in the kingdom of of God even now. Blessed are those who mourn. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 6, it says, Those who weep now will rejoice um, then. They shall be comforted. Blessed are the, the gentle, the meek. I read something on a, a um, well, it's a form of Christianity that I don't, I'm not sympathetic with. And they have what I would call a form of hyper-masculinity. And they consider meekness to be a form of weakness. And I wanted to respond to this person's blog, um, why don't you read Isaiah 53? But I didn't. It's never a good idea to sometimes get involved in theological debates um, on Facebook. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied. If we are merciful, we'll receive mercy. And the pure in heart will see God. Just a few of the blessings that we enjoy. Now turn over to your Old Testament. And the Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 10. And the Proverbs, you know this if you walk through the Proverbs. You'll have one theme in verse 1. It will switch to another theme in verse 2. So you usually don't have a whole chapter that's a, a complete unit. You do with some, say, chapter, th- uh, chapter 3, chapter 5, sexual immorality, stay away from the wayward woman. There are a few chapters where it's very thematic, but this one's not that. Um, but if we take a step back, what we're looking at is a contrast between the righteous and the wicked. My purpose for looking at this is from verse 6. The blessings are in the head of the righteous. I'll call this, that, well, that's what the, the title of this sermon will be. Blessings on the head of the righteous. I'm going to look at this sermon. I want us to look at this passage and just pluck out various blessings. I don't even think I'm going to be chronological. Um, I just want to look at various blessings that the righteous enjoy, people that are made righteous in Christ. But I'll read the entire um, chapter. The Proverbs of Solomon. A wise son makes a father glad. A foolish son is a grief to his mother. Ill-gotten gains do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. The Lord will not allow the righteous to hunger, but he will reject the craving of the wicked. Poor is he who works with negligent hand. The hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a son who acts wisely, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who acts shamefully. Blessings are on the head of the righteous, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. The memory of the righteous is blessed. The name of the wicked will rot. The wise of heart will receive commands, but a babbling fool will be ruined. He who walks in integrity walks securely, but he who perverts his ways will be found out. He who winks the eyes causes trouble. A babbling fool will be ruined. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. The mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all transgressions. On the lips of the discerning wisdom is found, but a rod is for the back of him who lacks understanding. Wise men store up knowledge, but with the mouth of the foolish, ruin is at hand. Rich man's wealth is his fortress. The ruin is the poor is their the ruin of the poor is their poverty. The wages of the righteous is life. The income of the wicked is punishment. He is on the path of life who heeds instruction. He who ignores reproof goes astray. He who conceals hatred has lying lips. He who spreads slander is a fool. But there are many words where when there are many words, transgressions 
are unavoidable. He who is wise restrains his lips. The tongue of the righteous is as choice silver. The heart of the wicked is worth little. The lips of the righteous feed many. Fools die for lack of understanding. It is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. Doing wickedness is like sport to a fool. So is wisdom to a man of understanding. What the wicked fears will come upon him, but the desire of the righteous will be granted. When the whirlwind passes, the wicked is no more, but the righteous has an everlasting foundation. Like vinegar to the teeth and spoke to the eyes, so is the lazy one who sends him. The fear of the Lord prolongs life. The years of the wicked will be shortened. The hope of the righteous is gladness. The expectation of the wicked perishes. The way of the Lord is a stronghold to the upright, but ruin to the workers of iniquity. The righteous will never be shaken, but the wicked will not dwell in the land. The mouths of the righteous flows with wisdom, but the perverted tongue will be cut out. The lips of the righteous will bring forth what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked what is perverted. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, you are God, and beside you there is no other, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are your creatures, O God. We are utterly dependent and culpable before you. But we're more than your creatures, O God. We are your, we're your children, Father, your beloved sons, your beloved daughters, and Christ, your beloved Son, our Savior. Holy Spirit, we know that these things are true. You've cast out the spirit of fear. You've gifted us the spirit of sonship and daughterhood. And we do love you, Almighty God. And we pray, especially those who are walking through the valley of the shadow of death or are in difficult times, hard times, especially those of us who experience seasons of darkness and melancholy and perhaps even um, gloom or despair. Would you show us, Holy Spirit, would you enable me, Lord, to rightly divide this uh, precious word showing that you pour out superabundance of blessings upon the heads of the righteous, those made righteous in your, your Son, Christ. Help us, Almighty God, count the blessings that you have bestowed upon us, that we would realize um, that we should be the happiest people um, in the world. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So my purpose is to take a little bit of break from the, um, the judgment passage um, it, it does it, it can get cumbersome and as I say my my purpose in taking breaks ordinarily is to look for something which is expressly comforting uh, particularly one of the doctrines that I do um, personally enjoy is the doctrine of the assurance of being in a state of grace the assurance of being in a state of salvation knowing that you're loved by, by God and the things that we're going to look at I think will add to that subjective experience uh, of being loved by God, being found um, in a state of salvation. Um, if you remember this morning's sermon, it was, to me it was a difficult sermon to preach. It was a heavier sermon than this sermon is. We looked at the end of Acts chapter 7, we looked at Acts chapter 8, 1 through 4, and the essence of that sermon was that it's normative in the life of a believer to suffer persecution, for proclaiming the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, for pro proclaiming the word of God in general to an antichrist world. And then certainly it's normative in the life of a believer to suffer opposition by those who hate Christ when we desire to live holy uh, for Jesus Christ. And that includes 
That includes um, uh, uncovering the deeds of darkness uh, done by children of darkness. And so we, we looked at some of the lessons that we learned as the early Christian church suffered persecution for their owning Jesus Christ. And there are great benefits. And as I mentioned, one of the benefits of persecution in regards to assurance is in God's alchemy, when we receive it by faith, when we are persecuted for sharing the gospel, it testifies that we belong to Jesus. When we are persecuted by those who hate Christ for laboring to live a holy life, it testifies that we're found in the Holy One. So although persecution and suffering are never pleasant, when we look at that suffering through the Bible and through the lenses of faith, it works to our comfort that we belong to Jesus. In other words, the children of darkness hating the children of light testifies that you are a child of light, that you are born again, that you belong to Jesus. I've said this many times. I wish I had a, a videotape of me entering into heaven. I would be more courageous and more, uh, more happy as a Christian but we don't have a video of us entering heaven we have a Bible and so we're to live on the, every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and so even our persecutors what they mean for evil can actually work for our good so when you are hated for Christ's sake by those folks that hate Christ that is God the Holy Spirit testifying that you belong to Jesus Christ does that make sense and so we can take great comfort from that and so we looked at the identity of the true believer can oftentimes be seen when we are persecuted for Christ's sake. Now, looking at tonight's passage, if you have a highlighter, I highlight my Bible, I chop up my Bible, write in my Bible. If you were to walk through Proverbs chapter 10, I said it at the, at the outset, you'll see the righteous, the wicked, the righteous, the wicked. Maybe even the heading, my heading said it. The contrast of the righteous and the wicked. Look at verse 3 in uh, 3, 3a and 3b. The Lord will not allow the righteous to hunger, but he'll reject the craving of the wicked. Verse 6, blessings are on the head of the righteous, but the mouth of the wicked. Verse 7, memory of the righteous is blessed, but the name of the wicked will rot. It runs through all throughout um, the chapter. And so my purpose really is to look at what are the blessings that God the Holy Spirit records for us who are called the righteous. And I'm going to argue throughout the, the text and throughout my ministry the only way a person is considered righteous is to be found in the righteous uh, one, Jesus Christ. We receive his righteousness imputed to us, received by faith alone. He receives our sin. It's the great substitute, um, the great exchange. So we're looking at the life of the righteous person in Christ, the believer, and it's contrasted with the life of the, un the unbeliever. So one of the ways, much like understanding that we are believers, we're loved by God in Christ, by, by looking at who is persecuting us and why they're persecuting us. Even the life of the wicked can teach us great lessons. And for our purposes, it can teach us that we are, we are the righteous. Those who are bound over to the lie, the haters of Christ, um, they can teach us that we are um, adherents of the truth and so on. So the children of the darkness by virtue of being children of darkness, can reveal to us that we are children of light um, by, by both the profession of, of their lips and by um, their lives. So the identity of us as believers can be proved by persecution. 
And the identity of a true believer can be proved by contrast. Believers are in the Bible, according to the Bible. We believe distinct things from the unbeliever, obviously. We believe in the God of the Bible. We believe in Christ. We believe salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's a believer. And then the life of a believer is to be markedly, radically different than the life of an unbeliever. I left this morning feeling, uh, I guess, not buyer's remorse, but seller's remorse. I don't know whether I said some unguarded things. I I think I meant what I said, but there were some things which perhaps I was uh, um, a little bit strong in in, um, uh, approaching um, them. But here, uh, my purpose is to to look at the life of the believer living holily for God in Christ is is radically different. And I, I know what I was just meant to say. Um, Christianity is, is real Bible Christianity is is radical. The life of the Christian is to be radically different than the life of the unbeliever. You see it throughout this this chapter. The lips, the words of the righteous, the hope of the righteous, um, the life of the righteous, radically unlike that of the wicked. So when we look at ourselves or other people look at us, because biblical Christianity is meant to be radical, and I don't mean radical dress style, anything like that. I don't mean speaking in Elizabethan English or that, but but radical in our beliefs, in our affections, in the in the holiness of our life. And that it should be discernible. And that discernible character is meant to encourage us. We should, we should hear the fruits of the Holy Spirit coming out of our mouth and in our lives. And that should add to our assurance of being found in a state of grace. But as I say, verse 6 is really my platform text. Blessings are on the head of the righteous. And the picture here is, you remember... Um, was it Jacob? I think it was Jacob put his hands upon his children and blessed his children. Um, The the picture is of a a loving godly father putting his hands upon his son, the head of his son, and blessing his son in this way. And through that that picturesque picture of the father's hands upon uh, the head of his son, just bestowing blessing upon blessing upon blessing, and what I want to do tonight is just pick out some of the things that we see. Some which were evident and some which are not so evident. Look at verse um, verse 1 and 2. The book of Proverbs, if you read through the book of Proverbs, which um, I, I think you should read through the book of Proverbs. If you have uh, $20, you should buy. If you like to buy commentaries, I think it's, is it Charles Bridges? I think it's Charles Bridges. I think Episcopalian. Um, Banner of Truth, $20. Best best um, commentary on the book of Proverbs. But that's no aside. But if you know the book of Proverbs, it's written from, oftentimes from the perspective of a godly father, sometimes by a godly mother, but mostly by a godly father to his son. And so it's, listen, my son, and you shall hear. So it's, listen, my son, you have a godly, believing, holy dad who is trying to impart religious instruction to ensure the godliness, the holiness, um, both propositionally and practically, of his son. So what do we learn? And, and this chapter is no different. This chapter starts off the same way. Uh, you have instruction of a wise son makes a father glad, Proverbs of Solomon. 
Um, but what we have here is the father teaching the son. But I want to back up. The words of Solomon here are not ultimately the words of Solomon. And we believe, as Bible-believing Christians, that from Genesis 1 all the way to Revelation, it's the inspired word of God. So when, when Solomon writes these words, these are words that God the Holy Spirit has inspired um, Solomon to write. So these words given by Solomon are really the very words of, of God. You know, some of us have Bibles with the words of Jesus in red, and we, we take those, well, sometimes people take those words to be more important. I would never denigrate the words of Jesus Christ, um, obviously, but the entire Bible is the word of God. You can dip the entire Bible in red, and so all of it is God's instruction to us. So the very first blessing, which is implicit when it says the words of Solomon, and we know that this is an inspired word of God, the very first blessing that we enjoy as God's people, blessings poured out upon your head. And these will be especially important to you, particularly if you, you are going through a hard time. You have the Bible. You, you, have, the very, you, you have the words of God. You have the very word. Before I look at the, fa- the fact that he has a father that instructs him, I want to look at, at the, the, the primary, the greater blessing that these people have the very word of God to teach them to what they're to believe about God and to teach what God requires us to believe about him, what duty God requires us uh, to, to uh, carry out. We have the very words of God. We, we, have, the, we have the Bible. You, you, in your home right now, you probably have more than one Bible in English. We have a Bible in English. It's not a nothing. There are countless people uh, that have gone their whole lives without a fraction of the word of God that we have. The Bible says in the book of Romans, chapter uh, 3, first three verses, I think. So what benefit do the, Jew, do the Jews have over the Gentiles? And you remember what Paul says under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says much, they have much benefits. And what does he say? They have the oracles and the ordinances of God. And to use the language of our secondary standards, we have the oracles and the ordinances of God necessary for the calling in of God's elect to the Lord Jesus Christ and to the building up of those elect, our sanctification in Christ until we go to be with him. We, have, we, we read our confession chapter one. God gives to the church the Bible. It's not given to the unbeliever. It's to the church. We have the very words of God. And so if, if, when we think poor me, or, or, or we're groaning under some, and I'm not even making fun of some of the times that we groan. We go through some hard times. If you just stopped and thought, just principally what this, this passage is teaching us, you have the Bible. You have a Bible in a language that you can understand. When my, my dad was still young, they still performed the, the Roman Mass in Latin when he was a young kid. He didn't speak Latin. What is a Mass in Latin good for a non-Latin speaker? no good imagine having a bible in mandarin and we spoke english and we couldn't read mandarin it would be no use but we have we have the old testament we have the new testament and it's a language that we can understand this is a blessing if our houses were to burn down but we were to leave with the word of god what a what a what a blessing and not only and and we're going to see perhaps i'll bring it out now not only do we have the word of God, when the Bible says the righteous, the wicked, it doesn't mean that there are some 
that coming out of their mother's wombs are inherently righteous, inherently good, or some coming out of their mother's wombs are inherently wicked. No. Uh, The Bible declares that all men, Romans 3, were all fallen. In Adam's fall, we sinned all. The only way that we're considered righteous is to be found in the righteous one, Christ. This passage, when it says the righteous, the righteous, the righteous, it presupposes that these people are believers. They have faith. So not only do we have a Bible, we have God's instruction to us. So we have the words of God. We have, as the righteous, the ability to understand the Bible. If this were not a Presbyterian church, I would say raise your hand to this question. So since it's a Presbyterian church, raise your hand in your mind. In in your mind, do you remember, if you do remember, when you were an unbeliever, and then when you were converted, when you became a believer, and if you read the Bible as an unbeliever, and what it was like when you read it as a believer. I can remember that. I read the Bible from time to time as an unbeliever, and I thought, what is this nonsense? It didn't make any sense to me. But then when God the Holy Spirit converted me to Jesus, and you read the Bible, there's Christ, there's Christ, there's Christ, there's Christ. Did that happen to you? So 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says, if unless you've turned to Christ, a veil lies over your heart. You read the Bible, it's a closed book. We have a book of blessings upon blessings upon blessings, first of which is God's word to us, and now we have the ability to, to understand it. We have the ability to understand it, we have the ability to love it, and we have the ability, ability to, to, to practice it in our lives. And, and that's chief among part of the blessings. So we have the very instruction of God. He doesn't leave us as orphans guessing what kind of blessings. When I was a, a brand new born-again Christian, I have an uncle who became a born-again Christian, and he said to my grandmother, there are lots of blessings and promises in the Bible. And my grandmother said, God never promises us anything. You're not reading the Bible. The promises of God and the blessings of God are everywhere. But if you don't have a Bible and you don't have eyes to read the Bible, it's a closed book, but not to us. So you may be walking through the valley of the shadow of death. You may be in a crucible. If you have a Bible and the love of God in your heart, you have faith, you are exceedingly rich. You remember the church, was it Smyrna? Smyrna in the book of, of, of Revelation, he says, I, I, know, I know your poverty, but you are rich because they're rich in faith. So we have God's instruction. And then from there, I want to pick up the picture that Solomon uses of the godly father and the godly mother. And I want to make application regarding the blessings. And this, this will be, in this instance, this particular young man has a godly father. He has a believing parent. And then towards the end of the Bible, you'll see that he has a believing mother. So he has believing parents. So if if the first blessing that we're going to count as God's people in Christ is that we have the word of God and we have faith, understand the word of God. Next to that, and this will be applicable to only the people that it's applicable to. In this case, this person has a, a believing mother and a believing father. Beloved, If you have a believing mother and a believing father, notwithstanding any of their other faults and foibles, and if you're an adult and and your parents are, they're they're older adults, obviously, or perhaps they've passed and gone on, as an adult, we generally are able to look at 
our parents, sometimes rightly, sometimes wrongly, go, mom or dad was wrong here and they were wrong there. They have a character defect here. They have some sin flaws over here. That's true. Notwithstanding all the character defects of our parents that they may have, if your mother and your father love Jesus Christ and they instructed you in the way of the Lord, which is this, this father says, son, I'm going to instruct you in the path of godliness. Your father could be a ditch digger. And if you love Christ, you are an exceedingly rich son or an exceedingly rich daughter. Your, 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 your mother could have washed clothes for a living. And if she taught you how to love Christ and to know Christ like Timothy's mother and Timothy's grandmother, you are exceedingly rich. It's a blessing. You can't pay enough money to have a believing mother, a believing father, a believing grandmother, a believing grandfather that instruct you in the way that this is what's going on. This parent actually takes time from their busy schedule. And if you're a parent, I'm a parent, grandparent. This is, this isn't, it's not, it's not easy to be a Christian mother and a Christian father in an anti-Christian world. And you go about your workaday life and then you come back home from your workaday life or you, you're busy working around the home. If you think it's easy to juggle all of the things that we juggle and then to give religious instruction, it only shows me that you haven't tried it. Try to be a mother and father and bestow legitimate religious instruction upon your children. Propositionally, practically, you show them what it means to be a godly lover of Jesus Christ in word and deed. And you pray for them. You pray with them. This takes time. And, you know, so many folks get divorced now and then what you see is the parent tries to outgive the other parent to try to buy the affection of the kid because they don't spend any time. But it's time. It's it's not stuff that our kids need. It's time. And this godly father spends time pouring into the life of his son. And what he pours into the life of his son is religious instruction. And this is just not applicable to every Minister, It's only ministers that can instruct their children. If you are a mother or a father that loved Jesus and you have a son or a daughter, you're their primary teacher. You are. Before I ever get a hold of them, mother and father that know and love Jesus, is the, they're the first teacher that teach their children, listen, a wise son, listen, wise son. Listen to your father. Listen to your mother. And so it is, it is in it, it's, we live in an anti-authoritarian age. I mentioned it this morning. And the father, the, 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 if you look at modern television or movies, the man is con- considered the boob. He, 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 he's the butt of jokes. And um, the dad is considered just a, a goof. He's the butt of jokes. Um, and we live in an anti-authoritarian age where the, the little children are teaching the parents. The parents become like little children and defer to the authority of the, uh, of the children. It's ridiculous, beloved. That's ridiculous. It's a shame when little children rule over them. It is a blessing to have the authority and the guidance and the love and the care of a father and a mother over their sons and their daughters, raising them in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. It's an amazing blessing. And look at what the Bible says. Look at verse 11, 20, 21. Gives us some figures about what we should consider the mouth of our religious instructors. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. The tongue of the righteous is a choice silver. The lips of the righteous feed many. 
This is the first from the religious instructor, the dad and the mom, to the son and the daughter. It's the righteous lips of the righteous dad teaching the, the son of the daughter the way of righteousness in Christ Jesus. Beloved, um, um, if you have a, a Christian mother and a father, you should rise and call them blessed. You really should. And if they're alive and you've never gone to them and thanked them for instructing you, if they've instructed you in the way of Christ, in the way of godliness, before they die, you should go and thank them. Um, I'll pass on. And then related to that, the notion of having godly mother and father instructors, if you've walked through the Proverbs, um, sometimes in the Proverbs, you'll see the picture of a young child. It is an especially uh, great blessing to be instructed um, in the way of religion from, um, from one's earliest ages. I know sometimes in the Christian church, it's not considered that way because the Christians that are raised from the earliest time they can remember with godly instruction, they've never lived in the pig pen, as it were. They don't have what a, a quote-unquote great testimony. Uh, beloved, um, quote-unquote great testimonies, um, if men consider them great, it's kind of obnoxious. It's essentially a life of sin and then being restored out of a life of sin. Thank God for that. Having that kind of testimony comes with some very, very painful memories, which the Apostle Paul had. Paul says, I hated the church. I tried to kill the church. Do you want to have that testimony? Do you want to have the testimony of being an open fornicator, an open blasphemer? Do you want to have that testimony of being an open drunkard, only to have God preserve you? It comes with a lot of bad memories. And one of the greatest blessings, even and I, and I wish our, our, our adult children that grew up in this case, one of the greatest blessings is to be trained in the way of true religion from, from the earliest ages. If you, if you have a little bitsy kid and you teach them to sing praises to Jesus, they still love you. They still believe you. And they're more malleable. I understand that the Holy Spirit's necessary unto conversion. I understand that. Um, but um, it, it is a truism that the way that we were raised religiously early on has a great effect on us. I remember when Pope John Paul um, died. I was a minister here, and I was watching TV. I was raised a Roman Catholic, and and they stretched him out, and they had a, 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 a crimson um, covering over his coffin. My wife was making dinner, and they were talking about him. I, I was weeping, and I didn't even know it. And she said, what are you doing? You're a Protestant minister weeping over the death of the Pope. If you don't think that your early religious instruction has a hold of you, even though here, here, I am a card-carrying Protestant, there is something about one's earliest religious um, instruction. As I mentioned, we have the gift of faith. Um, look at verse 6. Uh, I, uh, this is the blessings. I want to say something about the idea of God bestowing these blessings, the idea of a, a dad putting his hands on the head of his son or head of his daughter. The idea of the bestowal of blessings is, and this is implicit in the blessings, is the notion of grace. Our religion is a religion of grace. Um, someone gave a quote of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, 
on the way to church, and I, I tend to have some different views on Bonhoeffer because he was a neo-Orthodox. And neo-Orthodox means that he pours different meanings into our words. So you need a lexicon to understand what he means. Karl Barth was neo-Orthodox. And I don't want to get too far afield. There's a, a pa- I could send you a paper on Bonhoeffer, but neo, uh, neo-Orthodox is sometimes can slip in a form of legalism. It's a denial of, denial of free grace. When we have the idea of being lavished w- with grace, grace is being bestowed, we, we, are, we are recipients of God's free salvation. We, we did not do anything to earn it. Our faith in Christ is a gift. The repentance we have unto God in Christ is a gift. Our justification is a gift. Our adoption is a gift. Our progressive sanctification is a gift. Our glorification is a gift. Everything is a gift. When you think of anything that you have, it's a verse 6. God the Holy Spirit has placed his hands, as it were, upon your head in Christ as the righteous in Christ, and he has graced you. The Christian religion is a religion of grace. It's a religion of gift. And that giftedness ought to make us humble. And if I could say it this way, it ought to make us happy. I forget which Puritan said this. We didn't do anything to merit God's favor or approval in Christ, and we can't do anything to sin it away. When we have a religion of grace, we didn't earn it. We can't sin grace away. This is not a license to sin. You can't chase Christ away with your sin. He can correct us. He can chastise us. But he never removes his saving favor because it's all by God's gift or God's grace. And I mean pure gift, pure grace. And we're told that the righteous have been delivered from death. Verse 2, the righteousness delivers from death. And verse 11, the righteous, the righteous, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. And I want to pick up on the idea of being freed from death and acquiring life. And there's two ways that we see this being used in the, in the proverb. One is a temporal way and the other is a reference to eternal blessings. Temporally speaking, um, the way of the righteous is a path of life. It, it prolongs our life, earthly speaking, or according to secondary causes in ordinary providence, speaking in that context. And what do I mean by that? There's a book by Matthew Henry called The Pleasantness of the, uh, of the Religious Life. What he means is the blessedness of being a, um, a religious person, being found in Christ. One of the ways that being a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and living a righteous, godly life for Christ's sake, it extends our life, is that you're not living the life of the wicked. I just mentioned about the business of testimony. Um, I lived in the pig pen. My children did not live in the pig pen. Um, one of the things that living in the pig pen does do is it, it can shorten your life, your physical life. You do things living the life of the wicked that can shorten your life. I understand God providentially orders our days, but we're talking just in ordinary providence. If you abuse your body with alcohol, you'll shorten your life. If you abuse your body with drugs, you'll shorten your life. If you abuse your body and the bodies of another person with um, sexual uncleanness, you'll shorten your life. Um, If you engage in... um, thievery, you'll you'll shorten your life. You see what I'm getting at? And so the life of the wicked um, 
can be a shorter life. And for us that long to live the life of the righteous, to love Christ and to live a holy life, we're not engaged in those things. We treat our body as the Holy Spirit. Even gluttony is an abuse of the sixth commandment. It's, it's, it's an act of self-murder. And so as we labor to present our bodies holy and pure sacrifices, it does have a temporal benefit. Um, when you wake up in the morning and you, you knew what you did last night, uh, that has temporal consequences in your life. You tend to have better marriages, better relationships, those kind of things. It extends our life. And the opposite, as I say, is true uh, for those that live ungodly lives. And, and I know you can say to me, well, I have an Uncle Charlie that was a vicious drunk and he lived to 95. I, I do know that. Um, the second thing that I want to say when we talk about being freed from death and acquiring life is that what we've been talking about all along is that we have the righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed to us. We have spiritual life. And so even when we die, death is not death to the believer. Death is death to the unbeliever. But it's not death to the unbeliever. It is a a doorway into blessings that we can't even imagine. And one of the things that, other things that God says that he promises to do for his children is he promises to give us bread. Throughout the psalm, he says, I'll provide for you. One of the things that you may find, I see some younger folks this occurred to me when I graduated college and I got married. And I had no plan. My plan was to marry my wife, and beyond that, I didn't have a plan. And then after that, I found out you need to support these people called wives and the children that usually company right after. I had no plan. And I found out that poverty was exceedingly unpleasant. And even as a believer, I found out something when we were poor. God always provides. God always provides. God will not have his children beg bread. You may be eating bread. Um, usually you eat a little bit more than bread. You may be eating rice. You may be eating spaghetti. You may be eating whatever. But God says, I'll provide for you. I won't have my children beg bread. I, I will provide. And when he says he'll feed us, as a father feeds his children... It's on a larger scale. It's the necessities of life. Do you need, do you need to wear clothes? He's going to give you clothes. Your children need clothes. They're going to they're going to clothe you. Um, when I was a carpet cleaner as a believer, I made eight dollars an hour. And my wife would say to me, "I hope that she would say that she hoped that she did not die before I died, and that the children were little, because she was terrified that I would not know how to educate the kids." And she was actually right. Because I would say to her, how do you think our children will ever receive a higher education? I make $8 an hour. Our kids will never be educated. I make $8 an hour. God sent both my kids to college. And I didn't make a whole lot of money, even as a, early on as a minister. But God provides. God provides for our well-being, our spiritual well-being, our physical well-being, for the lives of our children. This is, this is the, the father saying to his child, everything I have is yours. All my blessings belong to you. You, you, you and I, as, as Christ's uh, lambs, 
We're children of the Father. All that belong to Christ belongs to us. Everything that the Father has belongs to us. We're, we're so blessed. We're so blessed. Beloved, if you struggle with depression, count your blessings. Get a piece of paper out. I have the Bible. My mom's a believer. She taught me the Bible. My dad's a believer. He taught me the Bible. I have faith. I have faith in Christ. I have righteousness in Christ. God provides. And don't let sin or Satan color, discolor that. Because sometimes we're good at looking at a blessing and not seeing a blessing. If you have a shirt on your back, you're blessed. Shoes on your feet, you're blessed. A Bible in your hands, blessed. If the path of life, you're in the one who is life um, personified. May God be pleased with the preaching of his word.